Father, we praise you and we give you great thanks for this morning. We praise you that we can come together as your people into your presence. And we ask, Father, that you would truly examine our hearts and our minds and that you would teach us and instruct us and form us into the image of your Son, that you would expose in us our dark corners, that we would not be people who live in hiding, who people be people who are constantly trying to protect and preserve our reputations and make everybody think we're as wonderful as we present ourselves on Facebook. Father, I ask for mercy and grace, and I ask that you would bless this time this morning and help us to be the body that manifests the grace and goodness and love of the Lord Jesus Christ, in whom we pray. Amen. Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. You know, last week we talked about building one another up in love, building one another up, encouraging one another, spurring one another on. And this week we're going to be talking about the other end of the spectrum in regard to how it is what we use our words. The Proverbs talked about the words and its power, how much power lie in the tongue, life and death. And we looked at the at that aspect last week where we, we know and understand if we've ever been encouraged or built up by someone, we know the power of their words and the effect it has on our lives. But this week we're going to look at words on the other end that don't hurt or damage. They bring life, but they're actually words of admonition. We're to admonish one another, as we're going to see here shortly. The scriptures encourage, command us to admonish one another. And I'm sure you're sitting here this morning, and if I was to ask you, what do you think admonishment means? You would probably have a plethora of ideas come into your mind as you think about the word admonishment, because it's, we don't use it every day. In fact, the only time I typically use it is in reference to the Bible and what it says, because we don't use it a lot in day-to-day language. But here I do want to say something in regard to how important this, these topics are. Last week and this week are pivotal. Because of the power of the tongue and the ability to form and shape communities of love or to destroy them and make communities full of division and sectarianism and hatred and, and, and uh, party spirits that, that go against one another, it's very easy for our words to do either of those. Our words have power. Howard Markman, a scientist examined couples in the throes of heated discussions. He learned that people fall into three categories. Those who digress into threats and name-calling. Those who revert to silent fuming. And those who speak openly and honestly and effectively. And after observing couples for hundreds of hours... He predicted relationship outcomes and tracked the research subjects' relationships for the next decade. Remarkably, they were able to predict nearly 90% of the divorces that occurred. But more important, they found that helping couples learn to communicate more effectively reduced the chance of unhappiness or breakup by more than half. This is the reality. 
of the power of the tongue, of the effect of our words, and how we communicate with one another. And do you want to know why this is? Is because it's an image-bearing aspect of God himself. God gave our words power because his word is power. Jesus was the eternal word of God for eternity. And we know that the words of God, Jesus' word, the word created worlds, planets, stars, galaxies, creatures, humans. God spoke and it was. Now, nobody has power in their word like God. If God says, let it be, it will be. That's how much power his word has. And in fact, he's given us in microscopic scale down into this little human aspect of life. He's given us each some power with our words. Proverbs says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And sure, we can't create a cosmos. But we can create a loving community. God has given us power in the tongue. And so this morning, we're going to be talking about a tougher side of communication. The side of communication that's absolutely necessary because if you've ever been in a relationship with somebody, one of the things that you'll notice is that there's conflict. Sorry, guys. Yeah, it happens. We, We sin against each other, and we have a will that desires one thing, and you'll find that when you get next to somebody who has a will who desires something else, that clashes. And then you, it's what you call conflict. And then if we do not know how to resolve that or work through these things or help one another or guide one another, we find ourselves in trouble. There's also, we'll find that each and every one of us need, not only do we need encouragement on the positive side, but we also do need plenty of admonishment because we're fools. We need each other's help. We need one another. We're going to be looking at Romans 15, 14, where it says, And concerning you, my brethren, I myself am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able also to admonish one another. So the question is, what does it mean to admonish one another? What does that mean? That word, again, that kind of, it's a little bit of an archaic term. We don't use that a lot in everyday language. At least I don't. I don't hear other people using it either. But according to Strong's exhaustive concordance, which, having looked at a few of them, seemed to flesh out the meaning of the word better than some others, other lexicons, the Greek word translated to to admonish means to put in mind, to caution, or to reprove Now listen to this. This is key. Gently. To put into mind, to caution or to reprove gently. This is why I think the English word admonish is used. Because when you go and look up, like why did they use admonish for this Greek word? It's because of what that word admonish means in English. If you go to the Merriam-Webster dictionary, the word admonish means one, to indicate duties or obligations. Two, to express warning or disapproval to, especially, as it says, especially in a gentle, earnest, and solicitous manner. Or three, to give friendly, earnest advice or encouragement. I find that quite fascinating. And when I was reading this, interesting. 
Because you'll notice that both in the Greek and in the English word that we use to translate it, admonish has a lot to do with the temperament and the manner in which we speak. It's, it's a big part of it. Whether we're giving advice, whether we're admonishing somebody in their duties, whether we're warning somebody or showing disapproval on a part of what somebody's doing. You know a key factor in all of this? If it's going to be admonishment, it has a, has a tone and tenor to it. It's gentle. It's friendly. It's pleasant, if you could ever imagine doing that in such a way. And now, this is interesting also because it isn't, it isn't a sharp rebuke. It isn't a hard reprimand. Because if you do either of those, you're not admonishing. That's not what it means. Those are a lot more direct, and they come with a lot more force. An admonishment should come across as a gentle and friendly, well-pointed, well come across as gentle and friendly while pointing out the issue that needs to be addressed. That's the whole idea. So when you think of admonishment, what does it mean? You've got to have the tone and tenor in mind as well. That's pretty significant, I think. Because I tended, if you were to ask me prior to looking at this and studying it, I would have said, you know, what admonishment is, it, you know, it typically probably comes with frowns and scowls and a sense of sternness. When you admonish somebody, you get on them, right? That's admonishment. I kind of had that in mind, and I, I was shocked to find out that's not it at all. In fact, if you did that, you weren't even admonishing somebody. Because I think sometimes our, what we consider admonishment is more like harassment, and uh, it has nothing to do with the biblical idea at all. Just listen. I'm going to go through some of these passages of the Scripture to show how Admonishment or admonishing one another is used. And you can see in these different passages the flavor of this word coming out. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the message of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another. Now here's the good part. This is how. With all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Now that's interesting, isn't it? If you can admonish somebody through, through singing, it clearly has nothing to do with attacking somebody or being harsh. If we're going to sing together, and while I'm singing with you, we're admonishing one another, that clearly has a, a, a sense of gentleness. If I'm admonishing you, I guess because we're singing together the words that, that exhort us or instruct us or tell us in what we ought to do, and we do it together and we're singing and everything's great, there we are, admonishing one another, apparently, according to Colossians 3.16. That's a surpriser. But then there's a couple of uses in the scriptures where it seems, to, it comes across, at least, on the surface, to be more harsh. 2 Thessalonians 3.15. It was read for us this morning, that larger section of it. This is just that one place where it says, If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with them. No, I'm sorry, this is not the same one we read this morning. That he may, it says that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Now, those words actually sound kind of strong, don't they? Sound kind of harsh. But it's 
simply the way it's worded and how it's received by us. It's not the way it's intended. It's not what Paul is exhorting them to do. It sounds like you're to be harsh to them, but you think about it. He's saying, was such a person who will not heed what we're saying, pull back from them. That's actually fairly a passive approach. He says, withdraw, pull back. And so when you pull back, when something's behaving in such a way that's in, it's not congruent with what I've been telling you and teaching you, pull back. And whenever you pull back, someone's like, something's wrong. And then he says, he uses this word, that we're to, we're to admonish them, admonish the brother. And he says, do not regard him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. He wants them to give a powerful hint. And he uses this word, admonish. Give them the sense of knowing what they're doing wrong. And so, in fact, he's telling them, it sounds harsh, but he's telling them to be gentle, kind, and friendly towards this person and do it in a gentle way so they get the point. So to mistake a frank statement from Paul, to think that because the statement is so black and white, so frank, and sounds so harsh on the surface of it, but yet what he's telling them to do, because it's so frank, he's telling them actually to be very gentle and kind and do it in a way that restores the person. So it's just, a, it depends how we understand what he's saying to do. Because on the surface of it, it can sound like it's somewhat harsh, but it's not. Because we all know Paul could be, in his letters, as he said, he can be frank. He can be pretty bold and declarative. And he says, when I come to you in person, he says, you know, I'll, I'll be much more gentle. But he also, he also wants them to clearly understand what to do. In 1 Thessalonians 5.14, this is what was read this morning. This section. We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with them all. Well, here you can hear the spirit of what admonishment is all about when he concludes, be patient with them all. If you admonish the idol, clearly you're to do it in a patient, gentle way, and they understood that's what admonishment means, patient and gentle. In 1 Corinthians 4.14, Paul said, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. Notice a couple of things. First, the letter to the Corinthians was not intended to shame them. Not so that you'd be ashamed, he said. And it's written to them as beloved children. And so he says, this is why I wrote to you to admonish you. Now, if you know anything about the Corinthians, would would you agree with me? The Corinthians were a mess. That Corinthian church had a lot of issues. I mean, you take a, a, a church today in America that has a lot of issues, and it's probably not quite where Corinthians, the Corinthians were at. A lot of issues. And so you look at how Paul writes that letter, and he says, I wrote to admonish you. He teaches, he instructs, he, and he goes after issues. And some of the issues he's going after are pretty, pretty serious. I mean, he's talking about some pretty gnarly sexual sins some pretty amazing, divisive, hateful anger that's happening within the congregation. And he does it in a very instructful, gracious way all the way through. Very hopeful as, as someone who realizes these people, uh, you know, we don't write them off. We realize you guys got a lot to learn, you got a lot to grow in, so here, let's get started. This is what you need, you know, this is what you need to do. This is what you need to know. This is what you need to understand. 
And that's how he handles his letter. And he says, that's how I, I admonished him in this way. I also like this passage in Acts 20, 31, where it says, Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. How did he admonish them? With tears. He tells them the nature of the admonishment. I was instructing you. I was warning you. I was encouraging you. I was doing it with tears. I was correcting you and, and showing you the way that you need to go. And how was he doing it? with compassion and with tenderness and with earnestness toward them. Very significant. So this word admonishment, admonish one another, it really has, it has this amazing, it's an amazing word. It really is when you understand what it really means. That if you to teach or to correct or to warn or to prod someone on, to do it in a gentle, friendly way. Wow, that's a tall order. Because we usually fall into one or two extremes, don't we? Okay, if I have to say something, especially it's corrective, and it's instructive because I need to instruct someone to do this and not do this, or it's a warning. Okay, we wait until we can't really take it any longer. And if you wait until you can't really take it any longer and you've got enough fire in your belly to actually say something... The last thing you're going to be is gentle, kind, and friendly. Because the other option is say nothing. So we, admonishing is actually a very difficult task because it requires us to go in a spirit of humility and gentleness. And this is what I want to move to next. Answering the question of how do we go about doing this? How do we do this? Well, I want to say before I get into this section, just a little caveat here, that this admonishing one another isn't something that I expect us to do as a body like today or tomorrow or the next day. Because one of the prerequisites is that you have a really close community. And this is why I think it's first it first needs to be applied where you do have that. It's going to first be applied in your family and with close friends. Because this is where you, you just don't go up to strangers or, or figure you're going to learn this with people who you barely know or you know kind of or sort of and just try, it and try this thing out because it, it, this could actually wreck a community. And I'm saying this because the context is completely different between ours, our situation and what you found where the epistles are written in Corinth or in in Ephesus or in Rome or wherever because they had very tight-knit communities. In some cases, when you read the book of Acts, they're meeting house from house, day to day. They're, they're, actually, there's, in some cases, there's communal living where they're sharing everything. They're in tight. Now, these people, when you're in that tight with people, you need to know and you need to be practicing these things or you're going to have disaster on your hand. You need to be communicating. Now, in our context, they met day to day. We meet once a week for a couple hours. And that's, those are totally different contexts. The way you deal with people that you don't see all the time is quite different than you deal with a person that you see all the time. 
if you've got a close relationship or you have a distant relationship. And it's just, it's the nature of the context in which we live. This is why sometimes when we take the Bible and we apply it to ourselves and our situation and say, you need to admonish one another. Why? The Bible says to admonish one another. It's not understanding the context in which Paul said that. Because these are people who are living in very close community, even day-to-day living and interacting all the time, and they have close relationships. And you know when you have a really close relationship, you have stuff that you need to talk about and deal with. The closer you get, the more you have to do this, if you want the relationship to remain healthy. But now the question is how? How do we go about doing that? The very first thing we have to begin with is humility. We will never do the admonishing part of it, the the friendly, kind, gracious part of it, unless it's approached in humility. Galatians 6, 1, which which, uh, Mike read for us this morning, it says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. If anyone in any transgression is caught. How? What's the spirit in which you should approach them or deal with it? Gentleness. And then look at what he goes on to say. Keep watch on yourself, lest you be tempted. You too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he's something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. This is all about the spirit in which you do this. First of all, gentleness. Second of all, understand that if you think you're something, this is the humility part. If you think you're something and you realize that you're, you're not so much something, you're nothing, you deceive yourself. And realize one thing, you could easily be doing the very same thing they're doing. This is why you're to be careful. There's the only difference between them and you is what? Grace. That's it. It's not you. It's not like you're special and, and you have it all figured out and they're, I don't know what's wrong with them. They're totally messed up. The difference is God has given you grace to stand and they have fallen. And that just as easily could have been you and you understand that I don't stand but by grace. And so when I go to speak to somebody, if it doesn't come with that mentality, that sense... There's always a sense of self-righteous arrogance. There's all, if there's ever a sense that we look down, if ever a sense like, I can't believe you do that. You're such an idiot. Isn't that easy to do? If we're really, nobody's looking and it's honest and what goes down in our hearts, we despise people a lot of times. If they have, if they have weaknesses, if they fail, if they do things that we don't like, or perhaps we, that's not our weakness, we have a tendency to... Get upset with them, frustrated with them, angry with them. And all of that comes from pride, a sense of self-righteousness. And we've got to see it for what it is, really. There's no, you can't call it anything else. That is, that is a sense, that's pride, that's self-righteousness. And every single one of us here has to deal with that. We have to realize how easy it is for us to look down our nose at other people and despise them or what they're doing as if somehow you can't believe it. Unbelievable. Really. It's really not that unbelievable. What's unbelievable is you're not doing it with them. 
That's the grace part. It's just because God is gracious to us. And here, this is, this is so important because without the grace, without the humility, with, without going in this spirit, you will never admonish. Because you can't address an issue in a spirit of gentleness and friendliness and kindness without there being some humility in your heart. Here's also some good news. If you've tried to do it before and you found out, wow, most of the time when I correct, most of the time when I warn, most of the time when I instruct, I'm a little harsh, I'm a little mean, I'm a little upset. Okay? Confess that and repent. The good, the good news, if you see that or recognize that, is that it's not like you're hopeless or I've messed things up so much. All I ever do is bark and yell. All I ever do is I'm just such an idiot. And, and you know, don't start beating yourself up for the failings that you've had. That also is, is a, in, there's pride in that as well. Like, oh, I, almost as I can't believe that I'm such an idiot or that I did these things. No, believe it. And then understand you need to confess it to the people that you've done it to. And then, and, then, and then repent. And when you fail again, what do you do? Repeat process. This is how you grow. I'm telling you what, you're not going to, you can't, you confess about five, six, seven, eight times. And changes are going to be happening to you. God is going to be deeply at work at you. It, this will humble you. And if you're in need of humbling, and if you're in need of grace, confess your sins to one another. And that changes your heart. Because God has made it so that we, you know, if you've ever tried to humble yourself before someone else by confessing the sins to them, you realize that is, has a humbling effect on us. And it changes our hearts. The next thing I want us to, to understand or think about in regard to this, if we're going to admonish people correctly, not only do we have to go in a spirit of humility, but we also have to speak in terms of the other person's benefit. Let me explain what I mean by that. So often we speak so directly about what needs to change that what we do is we create an offense instantly. Because it comes across as if we, we are the ones, we are the authority, and we're going to put that person in their place. We can't come along and just somehow tell them what they need to do or need to change or they need to get in line with or we have to you know we we have to you know somehow get them and force them to change because the thing is the words you use are just as important for affecting the tone that you'll use as anything else and when i say you have to speak in terms of the other person's benefit you have to frame the word the wording and think, you have to actually use your mind to think about how can I say this, what is it they need to hear, and how can I say it in a way that really speaks in terms of, of, of that, that will benefit them and be helpful for them. Now that takes a little work. That's not natural. You actually have to engage your mind a bit and think about this. So let's say, say for example, you'd want to admonish your spouse to be more organized. You don't say, you really need to get more organized. Oh, wait a second. I listened to that sermon. Let me be more friendly. <laughs> you need to be more organized. <laughs> yeah. 
So that is not phrased in any, any way that's of any benefit to them. It's condescending to them. Well, here's how you might. I mean, it's like, I was thinking about this. This is the hardest thing to do, to try to think and imitate tone and language and everything, especially from the pulpit, about how you might say it. But I think you could say something like this. You, you know how you've been wanting to have a little bit more free time? Well, I, I really think if we sat down and, and got more organized, it would really be helpful for you and I think it would help free up some time for you. Now, the difference there is that when I... Words like that, it's all phrased in terms of the person's benefit. Like how doing what it is you should do is really going to be helpful for you. But even, even to do that little example, you know, I'm sitting there racking my brain, you've got to think about how can I put this in such a way that it has the other person in mind and has their benefit in mind. It's just not... And this is the whole idea of uh, admonishment. It's speaking it and saying it in such a way that it's friendly, that it's warm, that it's gentle and winsome. And this is... And so if you're going to think about the other person in a loving way, and you want to admonish them in a particular direction, you have to say it and speak in ways that thinks... where you think of their benefit. But that takes some work that takes some thought and if you ever think you're going to gunsling it and you're going to go in there without some thought without some preparation and I'm going to try this admonishment thing you're going to find out that you will fall right into that old usual rut that you always have and you're going to say the things that you usually say you're going to push those buttons that you usually push and come away and say now I tried the whole stupid admonishment thing and it blew up in my face Well, well, no, all it did is give you a really good lesson on what not to do. That's all that was. That was school, my friends. That was wonderful training in saying that you, you've got a lot to learn. You've got a long way to grow in this whole, uh, whole idea of admonishing someone. And in a marriage in particular, you have lots of practice at this. And even with children, you have tons of practice with this. Because... Especially when you're in a position of authority and you have a really close relationship and you, want, and you have a lot of instructing to do, a lot of correcting to do, and a lot of warning to do. When you do that as a parent and you don't ever, you, you get, you've gotten away from gentleness, you've gotten away from kindness, you've gotten away from admonishing them at all, all you are is a drill sergeant, you've got a lot of repenting to do. Confess and repent, and you've got a lot of practicing to do. Because you've got to think, wow, this is tough. How do I be, how do I warn, correct, instruct in a kind and gentle, friendly kind of manner? Ooh, now you put me in a, a quandary here. You've created some tension. And yes, you will never do it unless you go, there's a spirit of humility and you think of ways of speaking in terms of the other person. And in that situation, you know that's also going to take a lot of prayer. You prayerfully have to work through this. Oh, Lord, please give me wisdom. Please help me understand and make, me, make my heart like this and help me to know what to say and, and work it out. And this leads me to the, the next thing I want to say. If we, how are we to do this? If we're going to do this well, let me just tell you, you have to get used to practice. 
practice, what I mean by practice is not with anybody else, but yourself. Talk to yourself. Now, I don't know if you're used to talking to yourself or you're used to like either getting in front of or writing things out, but if you should get used to talking to yourself, you should get used to role-playing. If the kids hear somebody in the, in the bathroom with the door closed, who are you talking to? Oh, nobody, God. Not nobody, somebody, God. <laughs> Never mind. Because if, if you think for a moment, and this is our lazy tendency, this is what we think, that we're called to do something, and we know, okay, we need to go do it. So we're called to do it, we do it, and what do we do? We do it, and we fail, and we commit ourselves to never doing it again. That's a fool's game. You should commit yourself to do it, and you should, you should know from the get-go, I'm gonna, I am going to fail. I am going to bumble around in this, but this is way too important not to get good at and I will gear this is but I found people so many times if you do something that's not doesn't work out for you and you do something and you fail and, and you stumble do you like to do that again no what do you normally conclude let's never do that again that's the saddest thing because all you really, all you got when you failed and you stumbled was a wonderful, wonderful lesson. You're growing. You're learning. This is the process. This is the way. And, and this is why also it, it does get much better and you do get much better at it when you practice, when you prepare. I know any time I've tried to uh, walk into a situation where I knew that it was required gentleness and kindness and patience, but you had to be direct. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I'd go over these scenarios. I would be practicing. I'd be thinking about what the, the responses, and I would be, I, I would talk about how I'm going to set it up, how I'm going to say the first words, and what 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 I might say. And it's not just me practicing; it's me practicing and praying, saying, "Oh God, please help me." This is you know you're going into a situation where anything can happen, and if you've ever walked into a situation where you know anything can happen, that's freaky. And most of us avoid that like the plague. I'll tell you one thing, I'm not doing that. No way. Well, the most beautiful thing that I've now recognized is as you prepare and as you pray and as you seek the Lord, it's Proverbs 19.21 puts it, Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it's the purpose of the Lord that will stand. He does things, and he works when we walk in by faith, trusting him. We've prepared. We've made many plans. We've thought through. We've prepared. We've planned. But we've prepared our heart. we prepared our words. we prepared everything we're going to do. And we walk in knowing that at that moment we walk in, we have to trust the Lord. It could go in any direction. And the Lord goes before us. And he works it out. And sometimes you walk away and they, I don't know how that happened, but that turned out amazing. And God was in it from the get-go. I saw his hand. I saw him work. I saw him move. He helped me. He helped the person. There was, it's like we com- actually communicated. And it was, it was amazing. And we, it, we got down to the root of the issue and we dealt with it. And I feel like there's some forward progress. And that situation, I tell you, when that happens, that also is very encouraging. So as we do this, as we admonish one another, 
especially as we begin practicing in our homes with one another, we have to realize this, that unless we have a spirit of humility, it's going south. Unless we think about phrasing things and speaking in terms of the other person, it'll come across as condescending. And unless we spend time practicing and going over it, we are, we're playing the fool's game and thinking that we're going to be, be, you know, be able to just wing it and sling it at the time. It's not going to happen. Not only that, if we don't prayerfully, prayerfully do this and prayerfully prepare and looking for God to be in, in it from beginning to end, it also is probably going to derail on us. But nonetheless, no matter what, we are encouraged to admonish one another, which means we speak the truth, which means we teach and instruct one another in the ways that we should go. It means that we correct one another from error. It means that we actually warn one another from a dangerous path. But just as important as any of that is we do it in a spirit of gentleness and friendly and kind and patient manner. The manner and the tone has got to come together with it. And as we do that, I'll tell you what, as we grow in that and mature in that and develop in that, we are developing a community that knows what it means to truly love one another. Because you can't love each other until you can figure out how to spur one another on to love and good deeds in the tough areas of life. You can't love one another unless... If there's stuff that needs to get dealt with that's between two people and it gets resolved and everything gets reconciled, you can't. Loving one another, and the closer you get to people and the more, and the more intimate you get, you, this is one of the most important skills in all of life that you could possess. If you know how, and like I spoke last week, build others up to encourage them and to spur them on, and you know how to admonish them really well, I'll tell you what, to use maybe an exaggerated expression, you've got the world in your hands because that is some serious, serious skill no matter where you're at, no matter what you're doing. It has a powerful impact and you can create communities of love. It's worth it. It really is. To avoid it, it's just to create an ugly world, an ugly community full of brokenness that never gets redeemed. With it, it brings healing, love, and blessing. And may the Lord add it to all of us. Amen. Father, we're so very thankful that you've given us your word and called us to admonish one another. You've commanded us to do this because you know our frame. You know our foolishness. You know how much we need correction. You know how much we need instruction. You know how much we need warning. We need one another in each other's lives, and we need this kind of godly biblical admonishment. Oh, Lord, please cultivate it in our hearts. Make us passionate for it, that we would love one another in this way, admonishing one another that we would grow and mature in this and become godly so that we would reflect the Lord Jesus Christ in our community. In whom we pray, amen.